Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. So this is possibly the worst joke I've ever heard and, and will be the worst joke I've ever told. What did the snowboarder say before he died? Check this out. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from comic Rebecca Adelman. She's big in Canada, set to become big here. All right. That's what she tells me. I'll take her word for it, even though I've never met her. Coming up, actor Paul Dano's salty fetish, pre-reclined seats, the classic new Coke story, a BYO food joint, and a first aid kit that gives you goosebumps. But first... Time for small talk. So, Brendan, this week was all about things exploding. Okay. If you ask me. All right. Uh, Steve Jobs blew his top after an employee accidentally left a secret iPhone prototype in a bar. (laughs) I hope that was a great martini, man. Uh, Goldman Sachs profits exploded. They are up 90%. As did any sense of, like, decency. Yeah. And, of course, most of Europe had to deal with the explosion of Egypt flaca jokel. Really ground things to a halt. Especially sentences containing the word flackle-mackle. <laughs> Which in Icelandic means, give me Bjork back, throw her into my smoky mouth. <laughs> Is that the volcano talking? Yeah, I'll stop spewing when you give me my sugar cube. Uh, to get other interpretations of the week's news, we asked our friends at Marketplace. <laughs> Raphael Cohen, intern for the Marketplace New York Bureau. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? So in Holland, some thieves waited till some inmates from a Dutch prison were let out on furlough, and and they went in and stole the TVs from their rooms. So wait, they stole TVs from a prison? Exactly, yeah. It's it's win-win, because if they get caught, they get to watch the TVs anyway. Also, I think stealing TVs is legal like everything else in Holland. Exactly. So. Rod Abid, Senior Producer, Marketplace Morning Report. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm talking about Spirit Airlines. That's the airline that last week announced that they're going to have to make you pay to bring your carry-on bags on. Everybody's favorite airline, yes. This week they went about 12 steps further than that. They have new planes with these brand new seats that sit straight up. You cannot move them, and they're calling them pre-reclined seats. That is amazing. Pre-reclined. What can you say about that? Pre-reclined. It's like if you go to a car dealer and he's like, no, the front of this car hasn't been crushed. It's pre-shrunk. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace. What's your story this week? Well, in my home state of Idaho, in the southeastern part of the state, the pelicans are eating a lot of fish, so they're trying to control the pelican population. So on this island where a lot of pelicans live, they've released... (laughs) badgers and skunks to eat the pelicans. So it's like these fish have recruited humans to use badgers and skunks to help them survive? Right. This is like an affront to Darwinism. Yeah, well, and it would make a very complicated car decal. (laughs) Or a really cute parade. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is Nixon debating JFK, but instead of sweat, he's drenched in booze. (laughs) History's not a crook. First, the history. This week back in 1985, the Coca-Cola company unveiled New Coke. Now the folks at your dinner party may remember it was a dismal failure. Mm. Michelle Philippi's here to tell you the rest of the story. The world's biggest marketing blunder helped save one of the world's biggest brands. See, back in the 80s, sales of Coca-Cola were, well, flat. 
old folks were switching to diet sodas and young people were switching to super sweet Pepsi. Desperate, Coke decided to change its cola recipe for the first time in 99 years. They called the top secret project Operation Kansas. Months of research later, the company hit upon a new, sweeter formula. Basically, Diet Coke spiked with corn syrup. Sound awful? It wasn't. In thousands of blind taste tests, people loved it. More than Pepsi, even more than original Coke. So on April 23, 1985, Coke's top brass proudly unveiled their new baby. Old Coke would cease production immediately, they said, and new Coke would take its place. Then they sat back and waited for the customers to roll in. Except they didn't roll in. Instead, they got insanely angry. Crowds at the Houston Astrodome booed new Coke ads off the Jumbotron. Coke HQ fielded half a million hate letters. Don Keough, Coke's president at the time, says one woman phoned him, weeping tears of rage, even though she hadn't had a Coke in decades. Well, I said, why are you upset? And she said, because you're playing around with my youth. Three months later, Coke brought back the old recipe, and sales skyrocketed. Nostalgia for Coke was apparently more important to people than its actual flavor. In fact, the comeback was so huge, some say marketers planned the whole fiasco, to which Coke's Don Keogh says, quote, we're not that smart and we're not that dumb. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. I am on the line with Cara Ladino. She is bar manager at the excellent restaurant Miller Union in Atlanta, Georgia, where Coke is headquartered. Kara, you know the history. What drink does it inspire you to make? Well, I decided to take an old approach with this. Since we were talking about new Coke, I thought we'd go old Coke style. That'll certainly make you more popular with most people, I would think. Yes. So I was thinking Coke started out being a medicinal beverage. Oh, right. And, of course, it also had cocaine. So is that an ingredient here? No, but it would be an option as a garnish. (laughs) We will let the audience decide that for themselves. So how do you do it? How do you make this medicinal? You know, there are lots of fun liqueurs out there that actually do have medicinal roots as well, Fernet Branca being one of the more popular ones. But what I did today was what I'm going to call the Pemberton, because John Pemberton was the druggist who invented Coca-Cola. Oh, right. So what we're going to do is half an ounce of Fernet Branca, an ounce of rye, three-quarter ounce of Carpino Antico formula. Uh, Which is what? It's a sweet vermouth. Top that off with two ounces of Coca-Cola. Really? Yeah. What a surprise. And we actually use the Mexican Coca-Cola. We hate that we're right here in Atlanta where Coke is from, but we have to get it from Mexico so it can be made with sugar instead of corn syrup. Although, ironically, it would make sense to use the Coke with corn syrup in it because New Coke had a ton of corn syrup in it. Yeah, but that's just so scary. Can I ask you, as an Atlantan, are you allowed to drink anything except Coke? Like, does anybody in Atlanta ever sneak a Pepsi or something? There's like a little tiny Pepsi plant down the street that we all laugh at. (laughs) But um, it's all Coke. So, Rico, um, we didn't know each other then. Um, Where were you during the Cola Wars? I don't know. I was probably working at Friendly's Ice Cream. What's so fun? You were a conscientious objector, huh? (laughs) Deferral? Deferment? This isn't funny, man. It kind of is funny. You've read about Pepsi challenges, but you've never been through one. No, that's true. Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire. It was serious. That happened. I know. Billy Joel refused to take responsibility. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) uh, if you are damaged 
as Brendan is by the Cola Wars. <laughs> Don't try Carbonated to face blowback. It. Don't try to face it alone, people. Drop us a line via dinnerpartydownload.com. Our guest of honor this week is actor Paul Dano. He's appeared in films like Little Miss Sunshine, There Will Be Blood. He voiced a character in Where the Wild Things Are. And he's coming out in several movies this summer, including The Good Heart. You know, Paul, there's countless lame movies made every year in this country. Um, how are, How is it possible that you've been able to select such excellent films? There's certainly a, a, a bit of a good fortune just to uh, be in the position just to get a meeting or an audition or get to read the scripts that are out there. You, you like a book or a, a CD or something, you, you read something and you sort of like it or you're inspired by it or you're not. And then you just try and focus your energy on the ones that, that turn you on. But is there a countervailing pressure to kind of go bigger, take some films that might be more lucrative and larger? And, and how do you resist that? Yeah, I think there is. Previously, I felt like the most important thing was not the quickest way to get rich or something, but the best way to become a good actor, because that's what a big part of my ambition is or was. Mm -hmm. But I would like to now try and bring some balance into it while playing characters that excite me. That's the the hardest thing. Well, your current movie, The Good Heart, seems like a labor of love. You your co-star uh, Brian Cox plays a curmudgeon who owns a bar, and he kind of adopts you. You, you play kind of a, a young outcast who's homeless. Right. You know, it occurs to me, and you've, been, you've performed with some excellent people. You've performed with Cox before, mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis, and uh, you've performed with Alan Arkin. Does some sort of camaraderie like that exist, you know, as an actor, uh, similar to what was happening in this film? I think the first time I worked with Brian on that first film I did, which is called L.I.E., it was quite a bit like that. That was also Michael Quest, uh, the director's first film. And mm-hmm. so Brian was sort of the paternal figure on set. I did feel under his wing. Sometimes the uh, life of the film does, you know, have <laughs> an effect on the, the life on set. So did Daniel Day-Lewis beat you offset for There Will Be Blood? No, <laughs> no, he didn't, luckily, but we didn't really um, see each other offset. Well, we, we have two standard questions we uh, ask in our show. One is, if we sat next to you at a dinner party, what question should we not ask you? This is going to sound terrible, but, you know, why did you start acting? Um, <laughs> it's not so much I hate it, I just don't have an answer for it. A lot of people have, a, a, like, a nice little answer, and I definitely was not 10 years old and thinking, I want to tell stories, or, you know, <laughs> I want to be a movie star. I, I, so I, I just feel like I don't have an answer to that one, so it always frustrates me. Well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know, something about you, or something you haven't talked about in interviews, or just something about the world in general. Okay. I, I, well, I was going to say something about a, a fetish. Well, that sounds right up our alley. I sort of have a, a bacon fetish. <laughs> tell tell me more. Well, you know, not only do I I love eating bacon, but for some reason I find it to be a sexy food. Uh, no one's ever ever let me um, implement bacon into uh, <laughs> into the bedroom. Unfortunately, yet, yet Paul, your stars ascended. I've, I think I've tried, but what is it about bacon? Is it is it just saltiness? Is it the sizzle? Is it the fat content? Yeah, it's all that, all that. Wow, all that. Some people uh, think chocolate is sexy. I think bacon's way sexier than chocolate. Well, you know what? Considering what other young actors do for kicks, <laughs> yeah. the bacon is going to take you like fifty years to kill yourself. <laughs> 
well, that was a little weird. I don't know. I mean, I don't see anything too weird about having bacon in the bedroom. Really? I, I use it as a bookmark, for example. Oh, I thought he was talking about uncooked bacon. Oh, no, that is weird, man. That would be strange. No, no, cooked bacon, totally. So people... Shave with it. People, do you use bacon in the bedroom? Please don't tell us about it. On our Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've talked about food with our guest of honor, but now it's time for the main course, the part of the show we specially designated to talk about food. That's right. You get a double shot tonight. So, uh, Brendan, I don't know about you, but in my world... Home gardening is the new black. Everyone I, I know... Must, I must be Paisley because I shop at Trader Joe's. You don't home garden, but everyone else I know okay. is growing tomatoes and herbs, and then they're like, uh, what do I do with a thousand eggplants? <laughs> you make they, like a miniature punching bag forest for kittens. Anyway, a couple of months ago, a restaurant opened here in L.A. It is called Forage. And while they get most of their produce from top-quality farmer's markets, they also started taking it from home gardeners. That's pretty cool. It is a totally cool idea. So the other day, I went over and talked to one of the chefs. His name is Jason Kim. I asked him how the project worked out. tell you the truth, I really didn't expect much. I really expected, like, some old lady, like, bringing in a bag of lemons she found on the street and, like, demanding money for them. But um, people started bringing in some, like, really good stuff. What was the biggest surprise you ever had where you were just like, I can't believe the bounty that just walked through my door? Um, uh, this gentleman, he came in with two baskets of Italian chicory lettuce and spigarello, and it was stuff that I've never seen before. It was of such high, pristine quality. And you're like, I'm onto something. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm charging people 10 to $15 a meal, and I'm getting stuff that's crazier than these restaurants that are charging $100, $150 a meal. But, so how does it work? How does the food get from somebody's backyard to you? They would bring, let's say uh, someone would bring in a tangelo or an orange. I would make them eat it, and I would also eat it too, and I'd have my other two chefs eat it, and we would discuss, can we use this? And to say the truth, half of the stuff I had to say, I can't take this because this is not good. But the other half, I'm just like, all right, this is good. So later we would kind of incorporate it into the menu somehow or use it for pastries. And my menu would change nonstop. I've only been open for two months and we've changed our soup like 20 times. We've changed our menu so many times already. Now, what did the foragers get in, in return? I would give them like store credit. But one thing that was really cool, there was a guy, um, Robert. He lives on Coronado Street over here. He, he, he grew some pretty cool lettuce. And I would make a salad that night and it would be called Robert's Coronado Street salad and everybody would be like wow this is from over here and they would be kind of cool about it and then robert would come in and he would bring nine of his friends and they'd be like see that salad that's my lettuce so a part of the payment is uh, an ego boost yeah it's like a little shout out so you have been talking in the past tense what happened a couple weeks ago the health department came here and said that you guys can't do that why not i think this liability issues maybe if somebody gets sick they can't trace it so for now, you're not doing that program anymore. I've completely stopped it. But um, people can come in and bring the stuff that they grow. And we're donating it to food banks. Because I still, because this thing is, this whole foraging thing, uh, it really built the sense of um, community in this area. And I, and... You really seem choked up about it, man. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I just saw how powerful this thing is and how it can just bring people together and... And it's just vegetables and fruit. So, Rico, is it still legal to bring homemade hugs 
to that restaurant to because that guy is so sweet. And that project seems like such a great idea. It's kind of sad, though. It's a great idea. They are hoping to work with the city to let them do it again, so fingers crossed. All right, well, meanwhile, I'll keep my hugs pickled in gin and um, so they're preserved. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Keep up with us between shows on Twitter, Dinner Party D-N-L-D. And thanks this week to Raphael Cohen and Eve Tro. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's Dinner Party. It's from a band called First Aid Kit. They've got an album coming out next month. And yeah. we pulled this song from a live video that's been kicking around the web. It's really, really charming. The song's a cover of Fleet Fox's Tiger Mountain Peasant song. Bon appétit. Wanderers this morning came by Where did they go, graceful in the morning light The banner fear, follow you softly in the cold mountain air Through the forest, down to your grave Where the birds wait and the tall grasses wait Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Thanks for listening. All right, man. That was a pretty yeah, good show. Not a bad show. I love that song. Oh, yeah, no, those girls are sweet. What do you what do you have what are you eating? Little post show vittles? Yeah, you know, a sandwich and uh, a coke. Incoming! Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs>